0: Good morning. It is the 8th of September. It's Thursday. I'm having a little bit of a blursday Thursday. You know, these 4-day weeks, I got to tell you. Blursday Thursday. I don't, I I don't like know. that. So, um, Paul, I'm I'm just not sure. I think that the third day of a 4-day work week is just, <laughs> I'm like I'm so used to working 5 days. I think I'm just completely thrown off. That's
1: probably it. It's it it feels like the Tuesday Thursday that it there is the is. Tuesday
0: Yes, exactly. Or yeah. a Wednesday is Thursday. I don't know. Uh, something yes. like well,
1: that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Good morning to you, wherever you are, um, whatever you're up to today. Thank you so much for including Paul and I in your um, morning commute. Maybe your drive to school. Um, maybe you're li- listening to us halfway around the world, and it's already the middle of the day, and we're having lunch. In which case, what are we having for lunch? Hmm. Yeah, that might get me. Uh, that might be, get my uh, mind thinking thinking ahead about uh, about today. Here's today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. It comes from Luke chapter 6. Jesus is speaking here in verse 38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken to t- shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, I think the temptation here is to Um, think about material giving, like we think in material terms. And so we're thinking here that Jesus must be talking about, hey, I, um, uh, you know, he wants me to be giving in in material ways to others in order, and then I'm going to do that in order to get back. Okay, well, first of all, we all know instinctively that that's not what Jesus would say. And so something else must be going on here. This verse can't mean what we think it means, and so what does it mean? Um, Jesus says, give and you will receive. Well, what will we receive, and from whom, and how will the gift that I gave be different from the one that I received back, or will it be? So what's the context? The context really, really matters in this particular Growing Your Faith verse of the day. So let's read the, this verse in context. I'm going to read Luke six thirty-six to 42. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, put into your lap. For with the measure you give, it will be measured back to you. And then he told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above or greater than his teacher, but um, everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me help you take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Jesus is clearly not talking about tithing or giving material assets here when he um, is instructing us to uh, give in, in order that we might receive, that, that, uh, that the gift that we give would be returned to us full, pressed down, shaken together, room for more, running over, poured into our lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. He's clearly not talking about tithing or giving material assets. Jesus is talking about forgiveness. He says, be merciful. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Forgive. That's a strong combination of two commands and two prohibitions. Be merciful and forgive. Don't judge and don't condemn. It's not only about what we give and in what measure. It's about how we give mercy and forgiveness to others. I mean, as noted yesterday, God loves a cheerful giver. So when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, one of the lines that he included was that we should pray that the Father would forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So that might mean that God forgives us as or when we're in the process of forgiving others. Like, Father, forgive us as, like as in the moment that we're forgiving someone else, forgive us as well. So when I'm in the process of forgiving, forgive me as I am forgiving others. Or it might mean that God forgives us as in the spirit and attitude that we're forgiving others. Father, forgive me in the same spirit and with the same attitude that I'm forgiving others. I mean, I'm hoping it doesn't mean forgive me in the measure, in the measure that I forgive others. And actually we know that that's not what it means because God's word confirms that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God's raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And salvation implies forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiving others is a big deal in the Bible. So Jesus is instructing those who follow him to give forgiveness with the same spirit to the same measure that we desire to be forgiven. In our relationship with others, we are to be as merciful as God is to us. So consider for a moment how you want God to treat your sin. I know my sin. It's ever before me. I desperately want God to remove it as far as the East is from the West. I want God to be able to look upon me and see not my sin, but Jesus who covers me. And I need Jesus to cover me, not just to cover for me, but cover me. And in the same way, I want to be cheerfully willing to cover others, to forgive as I have been forgiven, to forgive as I am forgiven, to forgive as I will need to be forgiven again and again and again, even today. And yes, of course, we are instructed in Scripture to, you know, give financially uh, material support, time, talent, treasure to the church, to gospel advancing ministries, to, to, other, to others who are in need But that's a different conversation for a different day. Today, considering this verse, let us remain focused on the mercy of God, new every morning, and how he expects us, his people, to be just as merciful to others as he has been to us. Give and it will be given to you. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge and this is Faith Radio.
1: Is my right a right given by God to live a free life? To live in freedom.
0: Ben Johnson is back. You can find him at the Washington Stand, washingtonstand.com. He's also tweets as the rights writer. Hey, Ben, good morning.
1: Good morning, Carmen.
0: It's a season of feasting among your people. You were feasting yesterday, or you're feasting today. I don't know. I feel like there's lots of feasts among, uh, among our Orthodox brothers and sisters.
1: Uh, thankfully so, yes. Uh, today we, uh, we celebrate the, uh, the birth of the uh, Virgin Mary. And we celebrate that simply because her birth is what ushers in, ultimately, the birth of our Savior. So uh, we, we look at today as sort of the uh, prelude to salvation, the, the end of the Old Covenant and the beginning of the New.
0: Nice. I like it. All right. Um, Well, happy feasting, first of all. And then um, you have been reflecting for some period of time and tracking, keeping track of and keeping us informed about um, the harms of marijuana and in a culture which now seems obsessed with its legalization and and dissemination. Um, in all kinds of products, um, maybe bring us up to speed on the conversation related to the real harms of marijuana that a lot of people are not paying attention to.
1: Well, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to discuss this because uh, as as you mentioned, the uh, the state of the culture right now is that marijuana is a cure all. Uh, there there are people who are promoting it as a cure for cancer, among other things, uh, a cure for anxiety, cure for pain. And uh, marijuana is, is not a, a cure, to say the least. It causes far more problems than it, uh, than it cures, even when it's used medicinally. So uh, that, that has been essentially pushed out of the conversation. There's been a lot of money uh, in, in terms of ads. And now there's, uh, of course, uh, an enormous and growing uh, industrial complex around it. So uh, virtually every state has got uh, some form of a marijuana industry or one that is uh, in an incipient, uh, in, I should say, uh, in, a, uh, in a seminal form. So uh, that's, it, it's a discussion that's disappeared, and a lot of people have been harmed as a result of it. Uh, there's kind of a heartbreaking article in Tablet Magazine, and I would direct everybody to it if you can uh, get to it, called How Marijuana Became the New OxyContin. And it has these heartbreaking stories of people who are suffering from, among other things, marijuana-induced psychosis. Uh, and any time that uh, we talk about this, people sort of uh, point and laugh and think that we're you know, reliving the movie Reefer Madness from the, the 20s or 30s, uh, and, and we're overstating the case. Uh, if anything, we're really understating the case because the research is rock solid. People who use cannabis are four times more likely to develop chronic psychosis or schizophrenia compared to people who don't. And if they use high-potency marijuana, it's six times higher. There was a study that, among other things, one out of every 10 people in schizophrenia globally would not have schizophrenia uh, if they had not used marijuana. So that's that's uh, among the more recent studies. But uh, uh, we're talking about uh, very serious, very serious issues. And these are, these are peer reviewed studies. Uh, these are gold standard studies, sometimes meta analyses of studies. But uh, one, one, really, the, the most significant issue when it comes to psychosis uh, essentially is that there's a whole segment of the population, an entire cohort, who is predisposed to develop psychosis at some point. And what all of the studies have found is essentially uh, if those people use marijuana or are involved in uh, the use of cannabis, particularly during adolescence, before the, uh, the brain is completely developed, that either pulls forward the development of psychosis so that uh, it, it's, uh, it <laughs> develops earlier than it would have otherwise, or it intensifies the use, or in many cases, it pushes over the line someone who, um, uh, it, it's a contributing factor so that if someone would have had the opportunity to avoid it, this assures that they develop uh, a serious mental illness uh, as as a result. And, uh, that's that's the most important. Of course, there are others. People who smoke marijuana have a, a much shorter life expectancy, particularly, again, if they use heavily in their teen years, they're 40% more likely to die by the age of 60 Uh, It has been tied to certain kinds of cancers, uh, which is ironic because it's always promoted as a cure for cancer. And then, uh, of course, those who use marijuana develop memory problems. Their brain ages faster uh, than the average uh, uh, human being, and um, uh, they also are more likely to develop uh, issues like asthma, bronchitis, and, uh, and other lung issues which uh, make it, uh, of course, more, more likely that uh, people will develop other kinds of, of health problems as they go on. So that's, that's just a few of the, uh, uh, of the many well-documented harms that marijuana causes.
0: For those of you listening right now and you're thinking, I think uh, maybe Carmen and Ben are making a bigger deal of this than, um, than is necessary because you don't know anybody that smokes pot. Um, Gallup released a poll on August the 16th showing that 16 percent of those surveyed said that they actively smoke marijuana. Um, That is up from 12 percent in a similar poll only a year earlier. Um, And by contrast, 11 percent said they had smoked a tobacco product in the previous week. So we're talking here about weekly use of um, of marijuana across the country, outpacing the use of Um, tobacco products. Um, And it is statistically significant. And uh, a lot of people are engaged in this. So something for us to to consider and to talk with our kids about, to talk with our friends about, to talk with our grandkids about, um, and maybe our parents as well. Ben Johnson and I will be right back. We're going to come back with a conversation about a priest in the UK who has lost his ministry. um, And he's been labeled a possible threat to children, Um, all because he is upholding what the Bible says about identity and sexuality. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. Ben Johnson uh, is here. We continue our conversation with him. Uh, again, you can find him at WashingtonStand.com. Um, ben, talk with us about what's going on with this school chaplain in the UK. Well, I guess he's not a school chaplain anymore, but why not?
1: Uh, alas, no. Uh, the uh, the individual in question was ordained by the uh, Church of England, the Anglican Church. Uh, he is uh, he has a PhD. His name is Bernard Randall, forty nine years old, and uh, he had been the chaplain of Trent College in Derbyshire. I just love the British names, so <laughs> so so wonderful to the ear. Derbyshire, but uh, uh, Doctor uh, Doctor uh, Doctor Randall had uh, given a sermon there at Trent College where he had, uh, of course, trying to deal with the issues that are important to the people he's speaking with, and his, his flock struggles with identity issues, and there had been an issue of sexual identity and, and gender identity, so he simply preached a sermon which says that the most important identity that any of us has is as a Christian, and uh, if you are a child of God, that is your primary identity, not how we identify sexually or gender or anything else and And he goes on to give uh, a very, very uh, ginger treatment of the issues uh the The transcript of the video is available, uh, matter of fact, Paul Perot and I were just discussing off air but uh, if, if you read through, he is not a fire breather. Uh, he is not overbearing in any way, shape, or form it's It's a very sort of a Carl Truman approach uh, in the uh, book that uh, he wrote the uh, The Triumph of the Modern Self where he simply says, we need to identify with what is most important, which is exactly the job of someone who is a believer and a Christian, to tell us, identify with the things that are truly important, that is our spiritual identity, uh, and to make that uh, the way that we primarily look at the world, uh, rather than uh, the sort of Paul Sartre idea that uh, essence precedes, um, uh, that existence precedes essence. It's up to us to choose our identity and uh, to, to uh, look at the world however it is and, and, and come up with our own idea of what it is that we are doing in the world. Instead, to embrace the plan that the Bible uh, says for each of us, that God has created us wonderfully in his own image and in his likeness. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. He has given us a reason, a purpose, and a destiny, and that we should embrace that. Uh, as a result, his uh, his diocese would, uh, put him uh, under severe questioning. Uh, they've labeled him a moderate risk to children, and he was referred to what is uh, basically the British equivalent of uh, the DHS uh, as a potential threat to the homeland. Uh, thankfully, the uh, Homeland Security piece of that fell through very quickly. They don't believe that that uh, identifying as a Christian is is a threat uh, to the uh, British way of life. At least not yet. But he's been removed as a chaplain, and he has no ministerial um, um, uh, place to—he uh, has, no, has no ministry right now in the Church of England as a result uh, because he has been labeled as a potential threat to children because he does not affirm their gender and sexual identity. Instead, he tells them to uh, accept a biblical identity as a child of God.
0: So I want to unpack Ben just really quickly and briefly um what precipitated this. He was required as the chaplain to attend um a university sponsored um event where faculty were being trained, right? They're being trained in um in in an inclusive inclusivity and diversity training. Um and as a part of that ch- training, they were required to chant together, smash heteronormativity, smash heteronormativity. And he refused to participate in the chant. And um, he says, I found it alarming. I believed it was promoting the idea that certain groups are oppressed by others and it was creating conflict, not seeking at all inclusivity um, among my peers. Um, he, he seems to be a very rational person. He refused to participate in a chant um in which he was going to be required to say something that um he believes is contrary to his biblical faith i i i i got to tell you i probably wouldn't chant that either
1: right right uh, uh, that's that's exactly it, it it's uh, th- this radical overreach uh, attempting to force people into a, an extremist view on on this side and and as you said he's he's not an extremist he's a very rational clear-headed individual Uh, who is simply standing up for the biblical point of view uh but he crossed some very powerful elements and unfortunately england is far more secular than the united states the uh, sogi revolution is far more advanced and entrenched uh in terms of uh, being an official viewpoint and he's suffering as a result of that and then of course there's the other component that we don't we don't often think about the church of england is an official church it is a government aligned church and so what, whatever winds tend to blow in Parliament uh, also tend to uh, knock down those who are standing in the pulpit.
0: Yeah, the kissing of the ring this week is just a reminder of the the, the, the way that um, the Church of England... Uh, the monarchy of England, and then the elected government of England are all strangely related. But anyway, there you go. That's another topic for another day. Um, Ben Johnson, as always, thank you so much for joining us. You guys can read what Ben is writing at WashingtonStand.com. You can also follow him on Twitter. He tweets as the rights writer. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. If you're still alive and breathing, praise the Lord. Um, It it occurs to me this morning that um, God knows us full well. God knows us from before the beginning, before our beginning. Um, Scripture says that God conceived of us um, before the foundations of the earth. Like in, In his wildest imagination, you were conceived. And God loves that which he has made. God adores you. And God knows things about you that, I mean, you may not even know about yourself. God knows the um, circumstances of your conception. God knows your life from before its beginning until after what the world will consider its end. God knows you and God sees you and God loves you. Terry Hope Peterson um, learned some things about herself along life's journey that influenced the way she thought about herself and God. And she's now a, an advocate for kids in the foster care system. Um, she is a former foster care child herself. She writes about her experiences in Fostered, one woman's powerful story of finding faith and family through foster care. Um, and she's going to join us next. What are some things that you have learned about yourself over the course of your life that have influenced the way you have thought about God or you think about God? And maybe is it time to rethink those? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Tori Hope Peterson is um, a beauty queen. She is a high achiever. She's also got a backstory, and she joins us now to share with us her forthcoming book, Fostered, One Woman's Powerful Story of Finding Faith and Family Through Foster Care. Tori, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Thank you so much for having me. All right. Is it Tori or Tori
0: Hope? Because in the South, we call people by their double names.
2: Oh, just Tori.
0: (laughs) Just Tori. You guys can find Tori at ToriHopePeterson.com. You'll want to connect with her on Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, Tori, um, you know, we could start this conversation in a lot of places, but I think let's just do this. Could you tell us where you are now in life, um, how the world sees you, and then tell us your backstory?
2: Sure. Yeah. So I live in Defiance, Ohio with my husband, our two babies, um, and we also do kinship care for my sister. We also have an, um, an adopted son, and we are foster parents. Um, I run a nonprofit called the Beloved Initiative, and I just finished writing a book um, that is releasing in October. It was supposed to release in August. It was to August. supposed to release today.
0: It was supposed to release today. We thought we were talking to you on the release day, but we're celebrating that it's forthcoming.
2: Yeah, it's forthcoming in October. <laughs> thank you. Um, and I, you know, I have all these passions because I first went into the foster care system when I was three years old. Mm. I was reunified with my mom just months later, but then as I got older, my mom's mental illness worsened. And so I went to the foster care system again as an adolescent, this time with my sister who's 10 years younger than me. And I thought, all right, this is our chance at having a family, at escaping the abuse um, but that was not the case at all. We were separated. Um, I went to go move throughout many more foster homes until I emancipated the day I turned 18.
0: Um, emancipation is a, um, that's a powerful word in our culture. Um, I'd love for you to, to talk about that word and your experience. Um, but also what did you experience, you know, in foster care? And, um, there are some places and spaces where, um, where God showed up in really powerful ways and you give him um, all the glory for that. Um, But it wasn't all, you know, roses and chocolates either.
2: Yeah. So emancipation means another word for it is aging out. Uh, There's this myth that youth are, youth in foster care kicked out the day they turn 18 and that's not the case anymore. And it hasn't been that way for like over 10 years. Um, I chose to leave the foster care system because I felt pretty burned by it Um, and my experience in the foster care system was that I moved you know from home to home to home felt really displaced like no one wanted me but I definitely see that God was throughout the entire um, process and that he was preparing me uh, one home after the other and I had a lot of people you know say that I was going to be a statistic who said that I was maybe going to be like my mom but I also was a part of a church community And they encouraged me. They said that um, I could do things that i never really heard I could do before. And they just brought me in and made me feel like I belonged. And through that kind of process, I um, came to understand the heart of Jesus and wanted to be like him and understood that he was my father, the father that I was always searching for. Um, He had protected me and loved me better than any earthly father could have.
0: It's um, it's a powerful testimony. Again, we're talking with Tori Hope Peterson. The book is Fostered, a woman's powerful story of finding faith and family through foster care. Um, people said I was going to be like my mom. When you um, when you say those words, Tori, what does that mean? Because, you know, what is the status of your relationship with your mom or what is, um, you know, what is her status now?
2: Yeah, well, I think to me, it meant that my kids were not going to be, I always Mm. knew like from a young age that I wanted to be a mom to some capacity. And so uh, to me, it meant that my kids weren't necessarily going to be safe or that my kids um, just weren't going to have stability. And I didn't want that. Um, I knew when I wanted to be a mom that I wanted to be a good one. I wanted to do something different. Um, I didn't want my kids to end up in foster care. And so I was always questioning, like, how do I do that? And there was a woman who um, came and she would take me from me and my sister from my mom's when things would get kind of crazy or unsafe. And I just remember watching her as she was a mom um, and being like, okay, like, this is how you do that. And I'm really thankful for that because I think it it taught me, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't want to be, but we have to figure out what to be. Um, and I mm-hmm. felt like she she showed me that. And right now, things with my mom, um, I still have a relationship with her. I love mm-hmm. her very, very much. Um, I always love her. My mom, you know, she did not have the ideal upbringing. She just experienced really hard things. Um, and I was conceived out of abuse. Uh, she, you know, had every reason not to give me life, but she did. And I just really see her as a hero because that despite, you know, the adversity that we've been through, I really do love my mom.
0: Um, I love that. That is so redemptive. Um, And that says that speaks volumes about you. Um, And so Mm. let me affirm and celebrate that. Um, I am I'm, I'm so profoundly impacted by the way that you answered the question about, you know, People said I was gonna be like my mom and then you say, you know, to me that meant my kids were not gonna be safe or have stability. I love that you um you answered the mom question from the perspective of a child, your children. Um, and I so appreciate that and celebrate that. So thank you so much. Um, you talk about having a church community. Um, how how like how did that happen? Because I feel like, you know, as you're Um, moving from foster care home to foster care home, it's amazing to me that you could sustain any participation in anything consistently like a church.
2: Mm -hmm. So when I was in the seventh grade, I was actually living with my mom at this time and I had a boyfriend, uh, like, you know, one of those junior high boyfriends. And his mom was like, uh, you know, you can't, you can't date my, my son unless I can pick you up every Wednesday and take you to church. So uh, she's uh, what an amazing way to evangelize, right? So she started picking me up every Wednesday to take me to church, and through that process, I met the very kind woman that she was a different woman who would come and um, take me and my sister when things were not safe in my home, and she was she's still uh, one of my best friends, my minister, my mentor today, who. Um, I just observe her momming and wifing and I'm like, okay, that's what I want to be like. Um, but she just really started to pour into me and I did move homes and so lost contact with her for a while. But in my last foster home, uh, my foster mom started taking me to that same church. And so reconnected with um, that, that kind of mother figure as well as having my foster mom, who was a tremendous reflection of Jesus and his sacrifice. And um, she, she just did a lot for me. You know, she had a different lifestyle and I wanted to run track. Track is a huge part of my story. Um, but I couldn't be alone. I wasn't allowed to be alone with my track coach, like one on one. Um, and it wasn't track season, so I didn't have a team around to practice with me, but she would come and she was a nursing student. So she didn't have a lot of time, but she would just come to the track and like, sit with me and while, while we were practicing. And she just gave me a lot of time, made sure that I got to the track every day, made sure that I had everything I needed. And that, I know some people say that like, well, that's just what a parent's supposed to do. But I think people would be surprised that that's not what foster parents did for me. They really felt like it was an inconvenience. So for her to go above and beyond meant a lot to me.
0: I, um, I love that. I love the, um, the sacrificial love that you testify to, Um, that, that is a thread throughout this book. And it is um, in evidence in your life as well. I like the words, um, when you talk about observing the woman who continues to be your mentor today, um, that you observed her, her momming, and her wifing, like, right, that is actually like the biblical model, those of us who are older women are supposed to be modeling um, to younger women, like what it looks like to be in a Christian marriage and to be a mom who is raising the next generation of people and maybe the generation after that if if you know if our grandkids or other people's grandkids become our responsibility along the way. I want to talk about that Tori. I want to talk about um, taking joyful responsibility for others. Um, I know that there are people listening who are like when um, when Tori said kinship care, what does that mean is going on in her house? Um, You're also <laughs> adoptive parents, you're foster parents, like we want to know about sort of the whole constellation of things going on um, in the Peterson household.
2: <laughs> um, So the sister I was separated from in the foster care system now lives with me. Uh, so that's what kinship care means. Kinship care means that uh, you take in family or you take in uh, someone that you know, like a teacher can take in a student or a coach can... Uh, taken, you know, their athlete, that would still be considered kinship care, even if they weren't a blood family, because they had a relationship that preceded uh, maybe that child entering the foster care system. Um, My husband and I also, it was about three years ago, it was during COVID. It was actually um, just like, you know, days after everything shut down. And that's why this young man couldn't find anywhere to be. Uh, Homeless shelters had you know, closed their doors, weren't letting anyone in, you know, just out of fear um, and not understanding what we were going through with a pandemic. Um, And so we got a call about this young man sleeping in public bathrooms. And we were asked if uh, we would welcome him into our home. And we said yes. And so he came and lived with us and we adopted him um, just about a year and a half ago. Um, And now he is an adult. And um, my husband and I also have two biological children. And um, that are that are three in one. And so our household is beautiful and we um, love the idea of, you know, building family in an unconventional, untraditional way. And um, we want to just have like open arms, open door, welcoming in people who feel like they don't belong. Because I know what it feels like to not belong. My husband knows what it feels like um, to not belong, to be left out. Um, and we just want to be a place where... People who feel that way um, feel like they have a place at the table.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. All right. We're going to return to um, the table and this conversation with Tori Hope Peterson in just a moment. When you think about just the, um, the magnitude of love that is required to open your heart and your home and your table to children who need a family. That's the conversation we're going to have next. What does it look like for those of us who are Christians to open our hearts and open our homes and set a place at the table for others? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at myfaithradio.com. Dot com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners. Well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit myfaithradio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen.
1: I know this
0: When you think about um, how you were conceived and the home you grew up in and who you are and how you understand yourself and what the world says about you and your sense of safety and security and place and meaning and identity and purpose... The testimony and witness of Tori Hope Peterson should literally give us all hope. Like she's living into, um, living into her name. Tori grew up in the foster care system, lived in some twelve different homes over the course of um, of growing up. Statistically, she should not be successful. <laughs> like statistically, she should not be uh, telling the story she's telling today. But God, um, and God's people, um, and God's goodness and His grace. And so this is a story of wonderful um, redemption and joy and faithfulness and now um, providing a place of redemptive love for others. So the home that the Petersons have built is very open um, and Tori and Jacob are exceptional in every way as as parents and we want to celebrate them. We look forward to the ways in which God is going to use you, um, Tori and Jacob, um, your husband and your family as just this beautiful testimony and witness to the watching world. So thank you so much um, for being here with us. Tori's book is Fostered, uh, One Woman's Powerful Story of Finding Faith and Family Through Foster Care. You can also follow her on Instagram, which would be a great place. For you to connect there, you're going to see that she is Miss Universe 2021. She's also a track and field All-American and she's a mom and she is passionate about seeing reform in the foster care um, system, adoption advocacy, vulnerable populations. I mean, on and on and on. So, Tori, um, talk with us about like your heart's desire to see Christians step into this space Where children are so vulnerable across the United States?
2: Well, I think that the foster care system, uh, you know, they're always like, become a foster parent. That's their marketing strategy. You see the signs, the billboards. Um, But I don't believe that you have to be a foster parent to serve those who are on the outskirts or those who are marginalized and, you know, suffering families, struggling children. Really, really, uh, in my life, uh, I believe this because it's what I've lived that we can use what we have. Um, we don't have to go overseas. We don't have to get a certification. We don't have to have a diploma. We can use what we have uh, right in front of us and just serve the children that and the families that God has placed in our life, whether that's on uh, the neighbor next door or uh, that person who comes to the coffee shop or uh, that, that coworker that's always quiet and we don't know why. Because if you look at, you know, my track coach, he came into my life and he said, Tori, I believe that you can go on to win state. And he mentored me. He became my father figure. No one had said stuff to me like that. Um, and that year, I went on to be a four time state champion, got a four scholarship to college. Only 3% of foster youth graduate with a bachelor's degree or higher. Uh, I was able to do that because, really, because of him, his belief in me. And people were always like, oh, well, what does he do besides being a track coach? And he's a factory worker. But he used what he had, you know, right where he was and he showed up on the track and he became my coach. And um, he really changed the trajectory of my life and changed the narrative over my life. And so that's what I encourage people to do is just ask yourself, you know, where am I? What can I have? What do I use? What can I use to just love the person in front of me? Tori, um, I,
0: I love the the testimony and witness here about, you know, the way that the woman who, you know, would come and collect you and your sister, um, you know, when things at home were not, not safe and stable. Um, and then this testimony about this coach as well, the testimony about your foster care mom who was a nursing student at the time, but would make it possible for you to have what you needed and then, you know, go and sit during... Track practice because you couldn't be there alone right i mean i I feel like there are adults who stepped up and stepped in um and were it not for you like their their life's work would be unknown right would go unknown talk- talk about that talk about that you know this is not we don't love children and care for them and seek for them to have uh, a redeemed life you know in order that we might become something but that they Mm. might become but that they might become something like that's what this feels like
2: yeah well you know you're so right I always say the story I get all the honor for it but it's really not a story about me it's a story about you know a community that loved endlessly and i like to put it this way Um, I say that I always say I love you already Um, and I think that's what my community Mm. did they just loved me already uh, you don't have to know, you know, the end of the story. They didn't know that I was going to be a success story. They didn't know I was going to be talking about them on radio shows years later. Um, you know, I could have completely put them to shame and, you know, just never talked to them again, not giving them any credit. Um, but they said, we're just going to love this girl. We're going to be obedient, right, to the call that God has on our life. And that's to love our neighbor and, you to love the least of these. And, um, you know, not every story ends like this, but I think this is the best that we can do is just be obedient witnesses of love um, and continue to love, love our neighbor.
0: Um, well, you're just adorable, and I hope you receive that as it's offered, which is, you know, of an <laughs> older woman to a
2: younger woman.
0: Um, talk with us about your ministry. I want to give you an opportunity to invite people in.
2: Sure. Um, so the Beloved Initiative is a uh, 501c3 nonprofit. And um, we serve those who are just marginalized. We really started with youth in foster care. And we wanted, we believe that, um, you know, there's this idea that uh, being a voice for the voiceless. And we say that we are not a voice for the voiceless. Um, the voiceless have a voice. And we're just going to listen to them. And we're going to amplify them because they are power in our stories. Um, there's power in telling them. Um, It's healing, and so we uh, started off offering different platforms for uh, youth in foster care to tell their stories. We gave free photos to foster families because we know that kids usually in foster care, they don't see their pictures on the wall, Um, but then during that time, we would say, you know, make a sign or make a video and tell people what you want people to know about you. And we got so many amazing signs, um, kids writing signs, wanting to encourage youth in foster care. And then people actually, kids actually telling, um, you know, what they want people to know. Signs like stop stereotyping me or I'm not a bad kid. Um, and it's just really powerful to see what they want to say. And now we, we just help people who are on the margins, um, people who are experiencing Homelessness, um, birth parents who are trying to get their children out of the foster care system, um, foster families who uh, may be struggling with resources, uh, just anyone who needs our resources. Um, we, we say that we want to be professional lovers of people. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I like that. Learning how to become professional lovers of people. BelovedInitiative.org. um Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Tori Hope Peterson, I um, I feel confident we're going to be talking with you again. So congratulations, mm-hmm. not only on the book, but um, just deepest thanksgiving for the life you are living so radiantly unto the Lord. Thank you for being a beautiful, substantial, living demonstration of the gospel in this generation.
2: You no, know, Thank you so much, Carmen. It was so nice to hang out with you this morning. It was great to hang out
0: with you. And I love that you live in Defiance, Ohio. Like that makes me <laughs> like like so great. All right. That's Tori Hope Peterson. You should connect with her. ToriHopePeterson.com and the BelovedInitiative.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen Laburge, And this is Faith Radio. Hope Peterson delights my heart. Um, so I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as well. When she talked about kinship care, um, and that all that is required is a prior relationship in order to take a child who is vulnerable and needs to not be living, um, you know, in their parents' home, all it takes is a prior relationship. I mean, how important does it become for us to have prior relationships? Let's say with the kids in our church and the kids in our community and kids who are right there. On the edge of things in order that when the time comes that their family needs some external support, their kid has a home to go to where they already know the people and they already know they're loved and they already know they're going to be safe. I mean, that's just incredible. Um, All right. Let's be thinking about kinship care and translating that into our lives today. we got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.